Good morning. morning. Tim and worship team, thank you. Thank you for taking the risk of doing something different and just helping us engage with the Spirit in a different way this morning. It was uh, was impactful and uh, it was good. So thank you for that. The Spirit is here this morning. Um, Yeah, we're going to go right for it this morning. Um, I'm going to start with the question, have you ever returned to a special place from your past? Have you ever returned to a special place from your past? Maybe it was the place that you got engaged. Maybe it was your old hometown that you had just great memories in. Maybe it was your, your house growing up. Maybe it was your first job. I don't know. Think about that place that, uh, that is special to you. I remember in college, I only lived about three hours away from my college, and so I would take friends of mine home for, for weekend visits, and I would show them all over. I'd show them my high school. I'd show them like my old house, all that, all that stuff, and turns out they didn't really care. It was like, yeah, it's not really that important. We just want to hang out and have fun, and I was all excited about showing them where I grew up, but they didn't really care. I remember uh, the joy on my dad's face growing up and the memories that he would share with us when he would take us back to his hometown of Cogan Station, Pennsylvania. It was a special place for him. It meant a great deal to him. And even for us, like sad places, sad places seem to either make us pull back and reflect or make us speed up as we pass them. Each time that we return to a place that has a hold on us, we take a trip down memory lane to key moments that changed the trajectory of our lives. Periods of time that shaped us into who we are today. Moments that built our identities, our attitudes, shaped our outlooks on life, whether we realized it in that moment or not. Life is made up of these key moments in the present that actually really, really matter. And that seems to be the overwhelming thought, shape, and feeling that leads Abraham back to the special place in Genesis 13. Now, we're going to get there in a moment, but I just want to recap first. First, if you go back two weeks ago, God invites Abraham and us into an incredible role in a good story of his to bless the world, to restore and bring peace to the hurting, the broken, and the sinful world around us. Abraham says yes to God's role, and we follow suit as followers of Jesus and say, yes, we want to be part of that too. God, we worship you. We worship your permanent promises, and we position ourselves as mobile and open-handed so others can hear about Jesus. But just like us, Abraham comes upon hard time. And for him, it was the form of a famine. A famine hit the land, and Abraham's faith in God and all of his promises was tested. And in a nutshell, Abraham did not trust. Abraham did not trust God's allegiances, his promises, and his provision and protection of God, and instead chose his own method of protection. And sadly, it came at the expense of his wife, And it came at the expense of other people around him seeing his witness. And so because of the injustice to his wife, not necessarily to Abraham, because of the injustice to his wife, God delivers Abraham and his wife from Pharaoh. 
And that's where we find Abraham today. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever had one of those mountaintop experiences with God only to then fail shortly after? God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll befriend who you want me to befriend. I won't do that sin that you don't want me to do. But the next thing you know, you've sinned again. You've dug yourself into a hole again. You've backed yourself into a corner and you're looking pretty bad. You're feeling pretty bad. And you're walking like a dog with his tail tucked between your legs. Have you been there before? I don't know about you, but I resonate with where Abraham is at. But the question that we're left with, if you've been there in your story, in my story, and in Abraham's story is, now what? What now? What do we do after we have failed? What do we do after we've messed up really, really, really bad, hurt others, just made a complete mess of God's stuff. We're left with the question of what would Abraham do? Would he learn his lesson from Egypt or would his life just spin out of control? So let's read and find out. This is what it says. So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negeb. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Do you see what Abraham did? Do you see what Abraham did? After watching God miraculously work to deliver him and his family out of the situation, the really ugly situation in Egypt, Abraham returned. Abraham returned to that special place. He returned to that special place where he first encountered God. Abraham returned back home to the promised land that God gave him. He returned not just to the land, but also to trusting God and his promises. He returned back to the mission that God originally had called him to in blessing others around him. Abraham returned to the one permanent thing that he knew he could rely on. It's like, G it's like God had a big old welcoming party of open arms back to the land. God didn't put up put up open arms and say, nope, sorry, Abraham, you can't come back. You messed up. Now, Abraham changed in Egypt, but the promises of God did not. Having failed to honor the God who literally promised him the world and asked very little of return, Abraham knew what he needed to do. He needed to go back and remember God's promises. He needed to go back and worship God again. And he needed to go back and just simply talk and experience God's presence again. And what better place to do that than where he first talked to and experienced God at first. He returned. I just want you, like, do you guys know that God celebrates when you return to him? God celebrates that. God celebrates that. 
All of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and returns back to him. And that's not just the first time. That's every single time you or I, however long we've had our faith in Jesus, heaven rejoices and celebrates when we turn back to him. I don't know this morning what lies you are believing about how God feels when somebody returns back to him. But I just want to tell the truth. He loves it. He absolutely loves it. He wants you to return and he wants you to stay close. But even when you do fail and you do do your own plan again, he wants you to return again. And that is good news for us today. Amen? That is good news for us today. Maybe some of us this morning need to return back to the place where it all began. Maybe it's not a physical place, but maybe you just need to recall and return to a spiritual time and place when you first encountered Jesus. Can you remember what that was like? When you realized for the first time, hey, I don't have my act together. I need you, God. Maybe we need a fresh reminder of God's desire for you and return to that place of full reliance on God to the place of restoration and peace and rest. Maybe we need to go back to that place for a stirred affection for his grace and his mercy and his direction in your life because maybe you've been running ahead of God and making your own plans just like Abraham. And maybe there's others of you that you've just been living with the consequences of sin for a long, long time now. Maybe you're feeling that weight and you're tired of living with those consequences. There's an invite right here to return back to God, the first love of your life in all of his promises and walk in his ways. Maybe it even means this morning doing the right thing for the very first time in your life. Maybe that's what it means. The invite is here for us all today. Returning back to God is his way of restoring harmony, bringing peace, and removing that impenetrable wall that seems to go up when we rebel and we've lost our relationship with him. I pray this morning, we as a staff team pray this morning that you know that you can return back to God, that you are welcomed back to the land with open arms, and that you can trust the one permanent thing that does not change. God's desire is for you, whether you're a new Christian, old Christian, mature believer, new believer, that you can return to him time and time and time again. And if you're going to learn a lesson from your bad experience, I highly suggest you learn in the company of the forgiven. I think as a church, we need the reminder that we are a family of broken people who keep returning to, to God's promises time and time and time again. There is no exception. That's why, that's why we as a church love City Group so much. We hope every single person gets into a City Group and finds a community of believers to do life with, not just on Sunday, but every other day of the week. Because getting into a City Group is like returning home. It's like returning home. It's a small little piece of returning back to God's promised land, whether you have failed or whether you have succeeded in your week. It's a community of people where they will remind you, regardless of how your week was, that your failure 
is not final. That you are loved. That you are still valued. That you are forgiven. That you are still a part of what God wants to do in Southwest Iowa. So because your failure is not final, we don't treat others who don't know Jesus as if their failure is final. City Group does this. City Group lives on mission to seek, search, pursue, and love the people just like Abraham, just like you, just like me, who have messed up royally. I mean, Abraham sold his wife for his own gain. It's pretty messed up. And God said, hey, come back. Return to me. We get to welcome people with open arms saying there is grace and forgiveness here and you have an opportunity to learn and to grow. Like I said, if you're going to learn a lesson like Abraham, do it in a community that loves you. Don't go about it alone. Get into a city group. Talk to Jason or I. We would love to get you connected. It may be a sacrifice in your week, time-wise, journey-wise. I know things in Southwest Iowa are far. Guys, it is worth it. We are not meant to do life alone. Get into a city group. Get into a city group. Abraham returned back to God because he knew God was good and forgiving. Abraham got back to trusting God's story and doing what he was originally called to be doing. So, after Abraham's big mess, he goes back to the beginning. He returns to his first love. But just as things are starting to return to normalcy a little bit, just as Abraham is getting ready to take a metaphorical seat, another life problem arose. And it would prove to be another opportunity to either take matters into his own hand and come up with his own plan or to trust God and watch him show up and learn a lesson from his past mistake. And we're left to wonder, would Abraham learn a lesson from his experience? Let's read on this morning. And Lot, who went with Abraham also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So something has been going on between Abram and his, Lot, his nephew Lot. They've both got lots of land, They've go, both got lots of wealth, but apparently it's not good enough for the both of them. Some kind of conflict has arisen in the mix of all of their wealth and prosperity gained from their time in Egypt. But there's a plot twist. The plot thickens because there is so much more at stake for Abraham in this squabble than just some simple family drama. We need to ask the question, why has Abraham brought Lot with him in the first place. Because if you go back to a couple chapters ago, a couple weeks ago, God told Abraham to leave his father's household behind. And here, he actually brought along Lot, part of his father's household. When Abraham set out from his father's household, God had told him that he would bless Abraham, he would provide for Abraham, and he would become a nation that would bless the entire world. But there's a problem. Abraham married a barren wife who could not have kids. 
How would he become a nation? How would he have descendants? He took matters into his own hands. In that moment, Abraham acted with logic and reason and brought Lot along, assuming that his household expansion would come through the lineage of Lot. He was not fully trusting. He was still holding on. And now we have a problem. Abraham and Lot are having household issues. And Abraham cannot let Lot go without letting go of the only resource through he sees God fulfilling his promise. Again, we question, has Abraham come out of Egypt a new and changed man? But let's read on. Here's what goes down. Then Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, I will go to the left. And we can take a breath and we can say, ah, finally, what we see here is that Abraham learned a lesson. He remembered his role and he remembered God's role. We see Abraham leaning back into the story, trusting God and pursuing what's right. Even though it doesn't make sense to him, even though he has no idea how God is going to show up, in his heart, Abraham returns to his original form of building altars in worship and pitching tents in open-handed trust. Abraham sees himself as the mobile unit and God as the steady anchor. And rather than stand in the pasture land fighting over rights, who's going to get what, how is this going to go down, getting angry at each other, Abraham goes back to his mission of blessing others and keeping things together. What Abraham does is seeks to bless Lot and stay reconciled to Lot. Abraham actually lets Lot choose what he desires. And Abraham takes what's left. Let, just let that, let that sink in for a second. Abraham has every God-given right to this land that God has promised. Yet, Abraham lays down his rights to preserve the relationship and bless others. As I first read this, I had to do a double take because this concept is so rare in today's world. We are so used to when conflict arises, standing up and fighting for our rights. And here's Abraham offering Lot the choice to split up and take Abraham's own land, trusting that whatever would happen, God would be with him. Like, I had to, I, again, I doubled. I, is this something that people do? Does this actually happen? But it's in this act alone, Abraham lets his only understanding of God's promise walk off into the horizon with some of Abraham's own land. The cool thing is, is Abraham chose who he knew because of what he knew. But Lot chose what he saw and what he knew rather than who he knew. 
This is Abraham saying, okay, God, I have learned my lesson. I know that things don't always work out the way I plan. So even though Lot is the only way that I understand how you can come through on your promise, I will pursue peace with my brother. Coming through on your promise is your problem, not mine. Abraham gave Lot first choice, and he was willing to take the scraps. But really, he's not giving Lot the choice. Really, he's giving God first choice. He's denying his desires and his plans in learning a lesson and trusting in God's power, authority, and control. And look what God does. Read on. Look what God does. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had already left him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So if that one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? Abraham gave up his plan, and you know what God did? God gave him everything. Everything. Abraham said, hey, I'll take east, I'll take west, whichever. And God says, hey, how about all of it? How about all of it? North, east, south, and west. Lot was sadly mistaken because it was actually God's. And God said, hey, Abraham, it's actually yours. It was a win-win for Abraham. And guys, this is what we see through all of Scripture. This is what Jesus taught on. Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek God first. Do the right thing. Do the righteous thing and everything else will be added to you as well. God says, hey, return to me. Trust me, I got you. Trust my plan. Don't take matters into your own hands. Your part is to do the right thing. Watch me provide. Watch me provide. Abraham humbly said, I trust you, whatever you want, God. And God gave him the earth. It's like he gave up his seat on the bus and God gave him the keys. Abraham's job, Abraham's role that he realized and learned from was returning and trusting. God's job is blessing. Now Abraham looks really good here. Abraham looks really good here. He's learned a lesson, but we're only three chapters away from him taking matters into his own hands again. We are three chapters away from him manipulating the situation again. We're three chapters away from him taking control of his own situation once more. But isn't that the same with us? Isn't that the same with us? Some days, we're the Abraham of Genesis 13, who do actually trust God. But most days... You and I are like the Abraham of Genesis 12 who bumble and stumble our prideful, egotistical ways through life. We think we have a good plan, but it's actually not trusting God. If gaining everything really means giving up everything and laying down all my rights and emptying is the way to exalting, we don't have what it takes. 
We can't do that. We never quite give up everything. We will always have self-seeking, self-preservation, self-planning ways and desires. And now we know, when we, when we reflect on that, we know how much we actually need Jesus. We need the Jesus who loves us in our Genesis 13 moments, making our own plans in Egypt. We need Jesus who loves us in our Genesis 12 successful moments, trusting his plan with Lot. We need Jesus who loves us and wants to give us favor and blessings, not because of anything we've ever done or haven't done, but purely because he loves us and it pleases him to do so. We need the Jesus who knows and can sort through all of our emotions. We need the Jesus who can sort through and sift through all of our mixed motivations. We need Jesus who can heal our deepest wounds, who can set us free from our strongest desires and prisons, who can rescue us from our deepest graves and actually give us life and set us free in order to love others and fix the brokenness in the world. You and me and Abraham struggle to give up everything to trust God. We like feeling like we have control. But guys, control is just an illusion. Don't believe the lie of the world that you have control. Don't believe that lie. Jesus is the only one who has ever truly given up everything to gain everything, including control. Only Jesus truly emptied himself. And guess what? We benefit from his exalting. We benefit from Jesus giving up control. There's actually a time in Jesus' life that was very similar to Abraham's situation. Jesus was in the midst of the wilderness, and he was hungry, and he was tired, and he was vulnerable. And Satan took him by the shoulder, and he gestured expansively, pointing out all the kingdoms all the kingdoms and how glorious they all were. And he said, hey, Jesus, there doesn't need to be any conflict between us. There's, there's plenty for everyone. There's plenty for everyone. Look east, look west. Look at all the beautiful riches out there just waiting for you. Why don't, why don't you take your pick? You can have it all. You can have your way. I can have my way. There's space for, for all of us. And where Abraham said to Lot, There's plenty of room for both of us. Jesus instead turns to Satan and says, you know what? There is not enough room in the world for both of us. There is not enough room for your plans and my plans. There's not enough world, enough space in the world for your kingdom and my kingdom. So you know what? You're going to have to leave. We, as followers of Jesus, can't have our desires and God's desires. We can't have our plans and God's plans. And in this moment, I can't help but see Satan begin to tremble. Suddenly, this vast desert alone with Jesus didn't seem so big. Suddenly, I think he felt the walls of God's kingdom finally starting to close in around him. And I think he realized the tables were turning. For the first time ever, 
The first time in, in history, Jesus, fully human, sought the kingdom of God first over his own wants and own desires. He did what we could not do, emptied all of his desires, all of his desires, his heavenly desires. He emptied himself of all of his power on his own, emptied his human desires, and lived rightly, trusting God that everything else would be added to him as well. And we as followers follow in Jesus' footsteps, walked as he walked, and trust God's plan and God's promises. Family, this morning, I hope that you are engaging with this good message. I hope you are engaging with this good word. We don't just preach sermons on Sunday to check off a, a, a box on our list of things to do this week. We don't just do this to hear a good story. We don't just do this for good moral principles to live by. We don't do this as a tradition. We do this. We preach the good news of Jesus because we need good news. We are sinners in need of a good, gracious God. We are in need of a new king and a new kingdom who offers forgiveness for our sins. We preach this message because we actually believe that the good news can change our lives week in and week out. You guys coming here on a Sunday morning, again, you guys are returning to God's goodness. Just like Abraham, this is a picture of returning Going to City Group is a picture of you returning to God's goodness. And I just pray as we continue the last part of this message, would you engage with this story of Abraham and the good news of Jesus in a very personal way this morning? We do this so you can engage with God, that you can encounter him and hear about where in my life do I have too much control and I need to hand over my plans that are getting in the way of what God wants to do. So let me ask you this morning. What are you holding on to that you need to let go of? What idea, what plan, what actions do you need to let go of? What, what is your crutch that prevents you from encountering Jesus fully and returning back to him? What are those things in your life that if you are honest, you have not handed over fully to Jesus. Is it a sin? Is it a desire? What are you still holding on to as collateral if Jesus wouldn't show up? Maybe it's your identity that you're holding on to. Maybe it's your identity. Jesus, I will follow you, but I need to maintain my image. I need to maintain my image. I need to be clean cut. I need to prove to other people that I'm worthwhile, I'm popular, that I'm my own person, that I have it all together, that I know my stuff. Would you let that go this morning? Would you let that go this morning? Jesus gives you affirmation and a secure identity that isn't rooted in anything you have done, anything that you haven't done. He takes the weight off of your shoulder. Would you let that go? Maybe it's your comfort that you're holding on to. Maybe it's your comfort. Jesus, I will follow you, but it's just too uncomfortable and inconvenient to do it your way and in your time. Would you let that go? 
you will only ever find true comfort in knowing Jesus and going where he wants you to go. Is it money? Is it money? Jesus, I will follow you, but I need X amount of dollars each year in order to follow you. Jesus, I will follow you, but I need this amount of money to make a nest egg so that I have some security in my life. Guys, would you let that go? Let that go this morning. All the money is God's anyway. He will provide you with just enough for what you need in any given season. Maybe it's your theology. Jesus, I will follow you, but I'm going to pick and choose how I interpret the Bible. That whole loving everyone else thing, eh, just not really for me. I'm down for your kingdom to come. I know my Bible, but if it doesn't look the way I want it to look, if it doesn't sound the way I want it to sound, if it doesn't feel the way that I want it to feel, I'm not really interested, God. I'm not really interested. Or maybe it's, Jesus, I will follow you, but I don't know anything about the Bible. I don't really know theology. I don't really know how God works. I can't really be used. Let that go. You have the Holy Spirit of the powerful living God living inside you, ready and willing to give you words and power and inspiration that you need for any given life situation. I invite you guys, let it go. Let it go. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Return to God. Let it go. Trust him. Let's pray and take some time this morning to invite the Spirit to soften our hearts and to open our eyes this morning. Tim and worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. Would you pray this prayer with me this morning? God, I return to you. God, take me wherever you want. I've tried doing things my own way. I've tried controlling things. I've tried manipulating the situation. I've tried getting everything. And I know this is an offense to you. God, I choose to go back to the altar of your constant promises and goodness and all of your forgiveness. God, I reaffirm my commitment knowing that I will continue to need your grace. God, I cry out, take me where you will. Would you recite this with me as a corporate body, his church, his bride? Pray this with me. God, we return to you. God, take me or take us wherever you want. God, we've tried doing it our own way. God, we've tried controlling things. God, we've tried manipulating the situation. God, we've tried getting everything. 
God, we know this isn't a, we know this isn't an offense against you. God, we are going back to the altar of your constant promises and goodness. We reaffirm our commitment knowing that we need your grace continually. We as your people cry out. Take us where you will. Amen. God, may it be so. Jesus, we thank you. We create space this morning for you. Would you speak on an individual level and a corporate level knowing that we need to return to you, that we get your grace and forgiveness for our sins and we get to try again. We get to learn our lessons in the most gracious, humble way from the most gracious, humble God. Would we be a people that welcome the sinner back time and time again and help people get back to the mission. Amen.